And all the people said, amen. Well, good to see you. Welcome to Risen Life. We're glad you're here this morning to enjoy worshiping with us. And uh, it's great to praise Christ. And uh, we are uh, very invested in loving Jesus and spreading the message of the gospel everywhere we can. Uh, you know, today is the first Sunday meeting of our church plant, Redemption Hill. Uh, and they're kind of wrapping up today, so we're going to pray for them in just a moment. But uh, they've had their first services down in Eagle Mountain today, and that's a great, great day for them and for us as we plant there in that city. We also are deeply concerned about children and the education of children, and there's lots of ways to educate our children. Uh, we can uh, use the public schools, which is a good thing. We get good Christian schools, and we, that's a good option, and also homeschooling is a good option. You have to find what's best for your family. Um, but we want to introduce you just uh, one couple today, Mark and Amy Russell. You can just stand real quickly. They are representatives of ICS, Intermountain Christian School, and they are here in the back and will be in the back uh, following uh, the service this morning. So if you'd like to know more about that school, it's a great option for your kids. Uh, they'll be glad to share you, with you all about it. So great to have them with us. Yeah. They're actually with us every Sunday, so we're thankful they're yeah, part of our, our congregation. All right, today we're continuing in our series on real-life transformation in the four legs of our strategy, connect, grow, serve, and reach. Last week we talked about transformation, asking God to transform us in our connections, our connections with Him, how we relate to Him with our family, in our church, and in our society. This week we're going to look at uh, God's continued transformation in our growth, how we are growing in Him. We're going we to encourage you to turn to Ephesians. We're going to have a couple of verses there, and then we'll be around, uh, in different places like we are just about every week. But we're going to be starting in Ephesians chapter 1. So Ephesians 1, verses 17 to 18, I will read that for us. It says that the Lord... Our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may he give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's a prayer that our eyes would be opened to know God and to know his glory, all that he is, all the beauty of who he is, is our great God and creator. And we can know a lot about him. Most of you heard a lot of sermons about him. But it's one thing to know about him and then have our hearts opened up so that we receive him and love him and cherish him and worship him. And that is a miracle of God when that happens. And that is why we are encouraged by Paul here in Ephesians to pray that that happens. This is what we're emphasizing today. How do we grow? And how do we grow through prayer? Well, here's one way, in a big way. We ask God to open our hearts and the eyes of our hearts to see him, that we might know him and love him. And that's what he says. He, he tells us what he's praying for them. He says, I'm praying that the Father of glory will give you a spirit of wisdom, revelation, your eyes of your heart enlightened, that you can know the hope, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. And so what we want to look at today is how do we do those things? How do we have our eyes open? How do we receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation? And how do we know the hope to which he's called us? And what we want to look at is two legs of this thing, two aspects. First off, God's initiation, the fact that 
um, love and intimacy are transforming. That's going to be our first point. And then our second point is our response to that, um, which is transforming prayers of response. I told you last week we have a new program back there. Don't get distracted if the things are a little bit late. Um, They're they're working on it. It's crashed a few times this morning. So applause to Stephanie. Amen. Woohoo. Thank you, you, Stephanie. So. Um, be prepared for that. But these are the, these are the two uh, points that we want to look at. Love and intimacy are transforming. That's God's part. And then our response, the transforming prayers of response. Yeah, so the prayer we want to look at is in Ephesians three fourteen to 19. And this is a prayer where, God, where Paul is, is pleading with the Father uh, to open up our eyes uh, in some really unique ways. Look at this. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So here's a prayer. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the strength, the breadth, and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." I want you to see here what Paul is praying for. He is praying that we would know God's love, its richness, its fullness, its depth, its width, that we would be changed by it. What transforms us? What is it that changes us? Ultimately and finally, it's knowing the love of God. And so we must pray, and we must pray for people that we care about, our children, our spouse, our friends, our colleagues, that they would know the love of God, know it, in such a way that it would transform them from the inside out. Paul is committed to the growth of the Ephesians. And he says, I'm going to pray for you that you will grow. And here's what I'm praying. He could have prayed better rules. That you have more regulation in your life. That you quit going to the bad places and start saying the good things. And he could have prayed more rules of them. That's not what he did. He said, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened. That Christ will dwell in you, that you'll be rooted, that you'll comprehend, that you'll know the love of Christ. Because, friends, if rules could change us, if rules could transform who we are from the inside out, then there are a lot of us in this room that would have been perfect a long time ago. Amen? All the rules that we've laid down for ourselves. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that it's the love of God that constrains us. Because we've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died... And he died for all. Why did he do it? So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Friends, it's the love of Christ that compels us to believe that everything he did was for us so that we could grow in our relationship with him. It's not by laying down more rules. It's by understanding, by knowing the love of God more deeply. Yeah. Why is it that we love God? What does the Bible say is the reason we love him? We love him because he first loved us, right? So we will never love him until we experience and know his love for us. And the Bible says this is how we express our love for him, by keeping his commandments. You see the train? It starts with him loving us. Our response is love, and our actions of love are to, I want to honor you, my good and amazing and loving God, and we obey. But it has to start with God's love, or we'll never really obey like he wants us to. If if rules could bring perfection... If rules could bring transformation, then the Jews would have been perfect by the time Jesus showed up. Because they had rules in spades, right? God gave them ten commandments. And what did they do? They took those ten commandments and 
multiplied them into 600 and some don't commands. What do those 10 commands look like? 600 and some don't do these and 300 and some do this. They, they took 10 and moved, made them into nearly 1,000. So if rules can do it, then the Jews should have been perfect. But look over in Romans chapter 7. Paul says it's not rules that are going to get us there. What rules do is show us not how good we are, but how broken we are. The law came in chapter 7, verse 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The more rules we lay down, the more we realize we need help from somewhere other than rules to bring genuine transformative growth to our spiritual walk. We've got to hear this, Christians. To affect change in our life, to affect repentance, true repentance in our life, isn't to work harder at following rules. It's to know the love of God that then constrains us and compels us to want to act in response to his beauty and his glory and his holiness and his amazing love for us. That's what does it. And so to teach us how to be changed is to teach us about the love of God and our kids about the love of God. For it says in Romans 2, 4, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus showed up, they had used law for thousands of years to try and scare people into repentance. If you don't, then we will, you know. And, and then Jesus showed up and the woman at the well came to him and he didn't use rules. The woman caught in adultery and the doubt of Mary and Martha, he loved those people. And he looks at us in that passage that Pastor Kevin just read, Romans 2, 4. It, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It leads us to genuine change. And we put rules in there to make our children genuinely change. That can constrain them from the outside, but it cannot motivate them from the inside. And friends, what God wants to do is have it so deeply rooted in us how much he loves us to see clearly in Romans 2 that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. If the end goal is repentance, we don't get there by rules and regulations. We get there by understanding God loves me. He loves me so much, I don't want to sin against that love. Yeah. How many of us have been changed only temporarily by fear of punishment or fear of consequences? Or fear of someone to be mad at me if I do this, right? It, it works at some level, doesn't it? I mean, we, all parents that are worth their salt have done this to their kids on occasion. It's not healthy. <clears throat> but we do it because it works at some level, right? But, but here's the deal. It doesn't last, right? All you got to do is look at yourself and work with people who are really struggling with sin and threaten them more, right? Oh, they might change for the day or they might change when they're in front of you. But in their hearts, they're not changed right? You can be sent to jail a hundred times, right? And the fear of going back doesn't keep you from doing that same stupid thing, right? It doesn't do it. We know it. Here's what does it. It's knowing God's love and knowing us at that darkest moment when we've committed our worst sin that he still loves us the same, that he still accepts us the same, right? Isn't that crazy? That's crazy love, right? Someone wrote a book like that, right? It's a good book to read if you haven't read it, right? It's crazy love. But that's what changes us. It's not the threat. It's not the fear. It's knowing God and his love for you. And friends, Jesus came to show us that it's not the rules, it's not the threats, it's not the fear, but it's a relationship that leads us to salvation. He said, he prayed in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. He gives us the definition of eternal life. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. What, that they follow all of the rules and do everything they're told to do? No. This is eternal life, that they know you. 
that they have a relationship with you, the only true God, and the Son whom you've sent. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Him as your Savior? If not, you can today before you leave this place. That is the definition of eternal life, that we have a relationship with Him. That is what is our salvation. And the law actually has a good purpose, Mm -hmm. right? The Bible tells us in Romans 7 the law is good. All right. This doesn't mean the laws are bad. They just don't save us and they don't change us. So the laws do something really good for us, actually. They remind us that we really can't keep it. And we need something more. We need something bigger. And that is that we need Christ. And, and Galatians 3.23 and 24 tells us just that. It says, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Hear that. The rules are there, most importantly, to point us to Jesus. Because we hear the law, and we know we can't keep it. We're so discouraged from trying to keep it. And it's not supposed to be the thing that changes us. It's actually to point us to Jesus, to turn to him, and to say, Jesus, forgive me, save me, right? Take control of my life, because I can't do this, right? So the law is pointing us to Christ, that we might receive grace and mercy and know the love of God. It'd be easy to look at this and say, are you telling us to throw the rules out? And our answer to that would be absolutely not. Our encouragement is, allow the rules to fulfill their created purpose. Their created purpose is not to bring us perfection and transformation. Their created purpose is to show us our need for those things and to point us to whom? It's to point us to Christ. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so allow the rules to have their eternal created purpose, and that is to bring us to Christ. That's, that's the reason that he gave them to us. And, you know, we can lay down all kinds of rules, and they will make it quiet in the car for a few miles, but somebody's going to start making noise back there, and you're going to have to threaten bodily harm again, right? <laughs> we allow the rules to do what they were created to do, and that is to bring us into a relationship with Christ. And by the way, this is absolutely a miracle when this happens in our kids and in you, (laughs) right? In every one of us, when we actually understand that what we need is Jesus and we need his love and we need his forgiveness. And when we get that, then we're changed. And this is why we pray this, because God must do this work in our hearts. He must be the one that shows us, I can't do it on my own. I need Christ. I need grace. I need forgiveness. And so pray it, pray it for yourself, pray it for your kids, pray it for those you care about. God, open our hearts to know and see the love of God, that we might be filled to all the fullness of God in Christ. Now listen, there are tools that he gave us to help us in this journey. One of them is, you know, the last night that Jesus was on earth in in John chapters 14 through 16, he, he tells us four things the Holy Spirit's going to do when he comes. And the first thing that he tells us is John 14, 26, but the but when he, the, the helper, when the helper, the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. Friends, we got to know the word. You cannot, you cannot do this thing without knowing the word because the word is what brings transformation. And when we sit down with the Bible and the Holy Spirit, who is, in, according to 1 John 2, 27, that teacher that abides in us, he'll teach us all things. When we sit down with the word and the Holy Spirit, it's just like when you sit down with your kids or your grandkids or your great, greatly great grandkids and you have the book between you and them, you know, and you're, you're pointing to and you're reading the book with them. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's going to read the book and say, let me tell you what that means. 
But there comes a time in those four things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. Over in chapter 16, it says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's when he looks at us and says, now you got the book, now we're going to close the book. And he takes us by the hand and he says, it's time to go for a walk. And he guides us into all truth. He has given us the mental ability. He's given us the the head knowledge. And now he walks us through life and, and takes that verse that he taught us about and shows us the practical application of it. This is where it works. Why are you going through difficulties? And when you go through those difficulties, what verse is it that comes to mind? What is happening is the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you not only what it means, but how it lives by guiding us into that truth. This is an amazing truth that God walks with us day by day as our teacher, guiding us in everything we're going through to teach us of his love and how to live it out and express it in obedience and how to help others know it. He's walked everything you face today. He has taken you through to teach you and to grow you as a Christian in the understanding of who he is and his holiness and his love. And so you're going to face some hard things this afternoon. God has guided you there, and he's got some things to teach you when you're there. And he wants you to listen to him, right? And, and look it, we're going to mess it up, right? We're just going to not do things as well as he would want us to do them for our own good and for his glory. But this is what's cool about God. He's patient, and he's kind, and guess what he'll do? He'll bring you back around and give you a similar circumstance again tomorrow right? This is the way God is. He's the master teacher. And he'll keep bringing you back around until you learn the lesson for your good, (laughs) right? We call it going around the mountain, right? Messed it up, back around the mountain, (laughs) right? Not to be mean, not to be cruel, but to give us another opportunity to learn and grow in his grace and his love and how to walk with him. And he walks with us day by day. It's cool. Friends, the greatest agent of change is to understand and see the love of God in our lives. You know, I was I was on my knees next to the hospital bed of a, one of our kids that the doctor said, don't know if they're going to live. And um, the only verse that kept coming to my mind, um, I had heard Arthur Blessed preach a couple of weeks prior, and the verse that kept going, he'd used that verse, is Psalm 119, verse 68. It says, thou art good and doeth good. And it just kept going over and over, thou art good and doeth good. And I didn't feel God was very good, and I didn't think he was doing very well that right there. And, you know, but, but he said, thou art good and doeth good. And what I needed was the living out of the truth of that. The next day I went and found that verse. Psalm 119, 68, Thou art good and doeth good, teach me thy statutes. And I realized I will not understand his word until my starting point is that he is good. And everything he does is good. If, we, if, if our starting point is he's mean, he's mad, he's out to get me, he's just waiting for me to stick my head out of the hole so that mole whacker, he can hit me on top of the head, we're never going to understand his word. But if we start, our starting point is that he is good and everything he does is good, now we can say, teach me thy statutes. And I, I had that experience and began to have a door cracked open that God really is good, that he does love me. But I needed it walked out. And several years later when I went to Donna and told her something I'd been doing that was stupid and she had every reason to get mad at me and to have the same kind of reaction a lot of you folks have toward your husbands, she looked at me and said, Robert, I don't care if you do that every day the rest of our lives. I'm still going to love you. Sin against that. Good luck. And when I began to see, when I began to see, she really does love me. It's, it's okay. That, then that let me know that if she loves me like that, a broken, fallen, sinful creature just like I am, 
and she loves me like that, oh, holy night, <laughs> how much might yep. God love yep. me? Yep. It began to open the door for me to understand. And that's how the gospel changes us. When we see in our darkest and our worst moment, right? Picture your worst sin and what that was like and where you were and how you felt. And then to realize that God loves you no different and accepts you no less because it's not based upon what you do or your performance or your goodness or your own strength. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. That you walk in his righteousness every bit as much in that moment as you did before you did that stupid thing. And that's when you've got to preach the gospel to yourself. It's easy to feel good about Jesus loving you when you're acting well. Feel good about him loving you when you're doing whatever the stupid thing is you do. But you won't be changed until you get that. Don't beat yourself up. Jesus took the beating for you. See? You insult God when you start to beat yourself up for your sin. Jesus took the beating. You're to receive his acceptance and his grace and his love in that dark moment. Preach that gospel to yourself when you're there. And the verse that we read this morning, it says, I'm praying that you'll have the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Friends, it is right and proper to ask God to open our eyes. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. When we sit down with the Bible, would you be willing to just read your Bible and say, God, show me something new today. Holy Spirit, teacher, 1 John 2, 27, would you show me something that I haven't seen before? Open my eyes. And, and it's right for us to ask him to open our eyes. Now, another place he talks about another of our senses, and he says, anybody that has ears to hear, what? Listen. <laughs> Let him hear. That is our responsibility. It is our responsibility to listen to what he's saying and put it into practice to do this thing. But it is right, Psalm 119, verse 18, to come to him and say, open my eyes. I need to see this more clearly. I want to understand this better. Please open my eyes so that I can see clearly out of your word how much you love me. And this pursuit of God to, to know him and to know his love uh, and this prayer that we've been praying in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 this morning that we'd have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. This is a lifetime pursuit. Because the love of God is infinite, and we are finite, and we don't even get a fraction of it. And so it's a lifetime pursuit to know him and to know his love. And so I get so frustrated with myself, I so quickly go back to works righteousness. I so quickly go back to trying to perform for God and to perform for all of you and, and to feel like you owe me your love in the way that I act. And when I'm acting poorly, you ought not to love me. I go back to that works righteousness so fast. It's the natural default of the human heart. And so we must constantly pursue to know God's love because I don't think deep down in our heart we really believe it. It's almost too good to be true. And so just keep listening and understanding he loves you infinitely regardless of what you do. And friends, there will be moments along the way of revelation, verses that are going to stand out to you. They're going to be kind of quantum leaps in your journey. But here, here's the good news and the bad news both at the same time. This takes a lifetime. It is a lifetime pursuit. This takes time. And if we, if we look at God and say, you need to fix me now, we're going to be really frustrated. Because <laughs> he doesn't work like that. This, this mm. takes time. 
I was talking with someone this past week who's an atheist. They don't believe in that God even exists. And and we were talking about faith and coming to faith. And he said, if I were to see it, then I, yeah, I would, I would, I would believe it. I can see that. I said, but it took me years. I had been pastoring for about six, seven years before I came to the place where it wasn't just a head knowledge of this is the right thing to say, but it became deeply embedded mm-hmm. in my soul. This is right. Mm-hmm. I just, I choose to give my life to this, not just my head, not just my ability, but God, I give my life to this. It took time to do that. First John 4, John looks at us and says, we have come to know. It takes time. We've come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. This takes time. Don't get frustrated in the process. It is a journey. And the transformation occurs through a relationship. This is about a relationship. When we talk about love, we're talking about a relationship. That's what changes us. And this is a, re- a relationship that God began. And it says in Philippians 1 that when he begins something good in us, he will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And so his love for you is, is unstoppable. He'll keep pursuing you. He'll keep drawing you back to teach you one more time. And it's a lifetime to learn it, as we've been saying. But one way we can measure how well we're understanding it is how much we fear we have before our God. Fear in a way that causes us to run from him. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so when we have this perception that, oh no, we're going to get what we deserve. And by the way, if we get that, we're in trouble, right? Oh, no, I'm going to get what I deserve this time. This time God's going to get me. And he's sitting up there just waiting to get me and catch me in my stupid, stupid sin. If we look at it that way, we will never come close to God because we can't stand in his presence. That means we don't understand it yet. When we run in fear from him, we don't understand how much he loves us. He took what we should fear out on his son, so we need not fear coming into his presence. We are accepted. So come receive his love then we'll be changed. This verse that he just read, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, is a great litmus test. Look in the areas of your life. Where do you find fear? Where you find fear, love has not been perfected. God's still working in that area. And are you willing to say, work more, (laughs) work more deeply? I I don't want any vestige of fear because where there's fear, love has not been perfected. Not long after Don and I got married, there was a story that came out of some preacher somewhere that he's messing around with his secretary and and um, so he decided to kill his wife, and she decided to kill her husband so they could be together, and made sense to them. But um, so we watch this thing, we hear the story, and you know, burning bed came out about then. Also, you know, the woman that got mad at her husband, so she poured gas on him and lit the lit the bed on fire in the middle of the night. So all that comes out, and I look at Donna and say, you know what? You get tired of me? Just tell me. <laughs> Really, all I need, bus ticket out of the state. You can have everything. Don't kill me. And why did I do that? Is Donna murderous? Well, (laughs) never mind. Um, But the reason that fear was there was because our love had not grown yet. We were just barely married. We We hardly even knew each other. And now 30-some years later, I just don't say that nearly as often as I used to. (laughs) That fear is just not there. 
And friends, in those areas where there is still fear in our finances, oh, is God going to take care of me? We need to deepen in our understanding of his love for us there. In our fear about our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, the fear that's there, we need, to, we need to grow in God's understanding God's love for us there. What is the area that fear still manifests itself for you? Would you be willing to face that fear? Say, God, apparently, I don't understand your love in that area adequately. Would you please take me deeper there? I think when it finally sinks into our hearts deeply, our souls rest. A word I like is just relax. I don't know how many times I'm sitting in my counseling office with people and just say, just, just relax. God's got this. He's God. He loves you. You're accepted regardless if you do this over and over again. Just relax and rest in it. And when we get it, right, we sing because we're free. We sang about freedom this morning. We're free when we know this. And we live for him. So let's just take a moment and let's just pray. Um, Paul asks us to pray this prayer. And so let's just take a moment and just pray this prayer now over ourselves. Should we do that? So Father, I pray out of the riches of your glory, all that you are and who you have, who you are, that we'll be strengthened through your spirit in our inner, inner being, God. That Christ will dwell in our hearts by faith and that we'll be rooted and grounded in love. And God, as your spirit speaks to us about you, God, may we have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, God, together, all the saints, to the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know this love of Christ that is far beyond anything we could ever understand, God, and change us through it. Fill us up, Father, that as we understand, you said, we'll be filled with all the fullness of God. God, mercifully do that amazing work in us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So first off, love and intimacy are transforming. <clears throat> Secondly, what is our response to that? Transforming prayers of response. How should we respond to this in Romans 2, 4? It said, God's kindness, so there's his initiation. What is the response to it? Leads us to Repentance. It leads us to a place that we understand. You know, when you understand that you're loved, it makes it easier to come and talk about how foolish you've been, right? You know that it's a, a safe environment to say, I've messed up, I'm really sorry about that. You're not going to get whapped in the head with a mallet. You're going to be greeted with, okay, then just repent. Do you realize that repentance is God's gift? Repentance is not a hard thing. It is his gift to us. It is his invitation back into his presence. All you have to do is say, I'm really sorry about that. I don't want to do that anymore. Would you please help me? Okay, come on in. And our response to his kindness is going to be a lifestyle of, God, I want to give you glory. Mm. A lifestyle of repentance. Change me into your image. Yeah. So we've kind of thought about this acronym that sometimes we use to guide us in prayer. Um, and it's something that maybe I would even commend to you, but adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, A-C-T-S, acts. And those are good prayer responses of transformation in our heart. The first one is adoration. We're just going to call it praise this morning. When, when, when Psalms gets done with all the amazing things, characteristics, qualities of God, the end result is praise. When your heart is free and you understand His love, you praise him. By the way, it's a good measure of whether you got it or not, right? If you are free, you can relax, 
and just sing and praise. I saw a lot of you doing that this morning. You got it. When you're there, right, now we praise him, right? So Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is not just empty, rote things that we do. This is something that comes out of a heart of joy, of gladness. To know that you're accepted and loved by God is a glad day. A lot of us can remember that day when we first got it. We've kind of fallen back into trying to earn it again. But when we first get it, we sing, right? Then when we get it again, we sing. We just keep coming back to get it and get it. But that's what praise comes out of us, that freedom of knowing I am loved by God, and it gives great joy and thrill to my soul, and I just praise him out of a heart that's alive. You know, that, that passage tells us what to do, that is praise him. tells us how to do it, and that is with excellence. In what we do, in our abilities, in what we pursue, praise him with excellence in your hobbies. Make your hobbies excellent so that when people look at it, they'll say, oh, that guy knows what they're doing, that woman, she's good at that. And we use that as an opportunity to be a witness. We do it at work. So when I was in high school um, taking trig in the 11th grade, I was flunking trig and um, trigonometry. And my mother, my mother looks at that. She had brought home the report card one time and she says, oh, you're flunking trig. Yeah, I know. Um, you, you're a Christian. You, you have a witness there. You can't do that. And I'm kind of like Mrs. Savigny. She's a Christian. She goes to church. Uh, she's safe. Can I please just flunk, flunk trig in front of Mrs. Savigny? She's taken care of, you know. <laughs> no. You are a Christian. Act like it. You, you represent Christ in your grades. In everything that we do, we represent Christ. Are you taking the abilities that he's given you? And planting them, using them as opportunities to be a witness for the kingdom. Or are you just despising the gift? No, we, use, we praise him. What we do is we praise him. How we do it is with excellence in everything that we do. Taking all of our abilities. Yes, yeah, so we praise him. Secondly, we confess our sins. You know, it's, it's a frightful thing at some level, right? Um, to encounter a holy God in his holiness. Isaiah, when he saw his holiness in Isaiah 6, he said, I am undone, right? I am a sinful sinner. I live amongst sinners. I'm undone. And that's the moment where we must realize again that this is where God loves us. And we don't have to run in that fright of his holiness, but just confess it, to confess our sin. And when we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so his love frees us to confess more freely to just bring it to him. And he says, I've paid the price for your sin. <laughs> just confess it, and I'll wash it away. And I love what David says in Psalm 66. He says, come in here, come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what great things he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Friends, just to be able to come to him in an, in an atmosphere of safety and love, to be able to say, God, I did it. 
and I'm really sorry. Would you please forgive me? And to hear him say, done. (laughs) You're forgiven. What a blessing that is. And our response out of that is to just worship him. And to know he bought our forgiveness because he loved us through the cross. Right? That's a big price. God had to pay a big price to forgive us. He was glad to do it, that it would be simple for us. He doesn't want it to be complicated. He made it simple through the cross. Just confess and receive my grace. And that's the last one. leads this last one to be thankful, thanksgiving, to just rest and receive what he's given us. Right? That, that takes some humility. We so badly want to earn a right standing with God. God just said, just receive it as a gift and be thankful. Psalm 100 says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. And his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And we look at that, that verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's a map. That is a map into the presence of God because it's, it's drawing a picture of the tabernacle, which was a tent that was set up. It had walls on four sides with only one door. And that door was called the gate. And if you want to get into the gate, if you want to move toward the center of the tabernacle, which is where the manifest presence of God resided, You have to go through the gate. How do I get through the gate? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And the next was the courts. To move through his courts, you move through those with praise. And friends, it's a really good thing to just start our prayers with God. I'm really thankful. I have so much to be thankful for. And you know, we can thank him for the things that we have around us, all of the provisions he's given to us. But that's kind of like the globe willow in my backyard. All of the leaves. Just being thankful for all of the leaves on the outside, the very perimeter, the extremes of that globe willow. I'm thankful for the leaves. But you know, leaves come and go. And as we move closer and closer to the, the, the real core, the real center of what I'm thankful for, we find the trunk. What is the trunk? What is it rooted in? The simple fact that God loves me. And for that, we thank him. For that, we praise him. And for that, we say, transform my growth. Change who I am into who you are. Maybe you've seen this little word, done. It's not what we do, D-O, right? It's what Jesus has done for us. Stop striving, right? Stop trying to be acceptable to him. Just receive what he's done for you and be thankful. There's a little hymn that says this in one verse. It says, let your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in him and him alone, gloriously complete. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the gospel of your love that accepts us apart from anything we do. Father, we love you because you loved us, and now we want to obey you. We want to follow you not because we can earn anything, but just simply because we love you. So it is our sacrifice to praise you, to walk in your ways, to confess our sins, to say thanks. You're an amazing God. One more time, we just ask you to show us. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. God, open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this together. Open the eyes of my...